Welcome to your first home buyer guide, the podcast for first home buyers who want to get it right. I'm Megan and that was Veronica. We're both buyers agents and probably old enough to be your mums. But that's a good thing because between us, we've got over 40 years experience and we are going to share with you bucket loads of stories about avoidable mistakes. Together, we're going to make sure that you get unbiased and real information that you can rely on so you can get where you want to be without missing a step. Now, we've got loads of great tips for you in this episode. And if you'd like more useful tools, head over to the website, homebuyeracademy.com.au. There you'll find free checklists that you can download, a free mini course on how to price a property and our where to buy a workshop for only $39. Priceless stuff, really. Bargain. But before we get into the interesting stuff in this week's episode, here's the boring bit, the disclaimer. You, of course, know that nothing in this podcast is to be taken as personal advice. We always recommend getting the advice of an expert in their field of expertise. Now, we've done our very best to ensure that the content is correct at the time of recording, but things change. So check with the relevant government authority or your advisors to get the most up-to-date information. In this episode, we're doing a regional spotlight, focusing on the things that first home buyers need to know about buying in Geelong and Ballarat. Local knowledge is so important when buying property. And today we're talking to local expert who is going to share her tips on what first home buyers should be looking at and the mistakes that, that can be avoided in these areas. Our guest buyer's agent is Kate Bacos of Kate Bacos Property. Based in the inner West Melbourne suburb of Yarraville, Kate has been buying for clients in Geelong and Ballarat for over a decade now, but actually has been a buyer's agent in Melbourne for a lot longer than that. Thanks for joining us, Kate. It's a total pleasure. Thanks for having me on the show. Now, Mark is a bit crazy, isn't it, across the country? And and we don't yeah. really want this to be about what the market's doing right this minute, um, because this we want this to be evergreen and all about <laughs> really what the the you know the local the underlying stuff, I guess, in these areas. But I guess you can you know you can tell us the difference now. I guess <laughs> the differences in in regional markets to a booming market to a quiet market as well. Over ten years, I would expect yes. you would have seen those changes. And and first home buyers do need to understand that it's not always like it is now, right? Not always at all. In fact, this is probably the headiest I think these markets have experienced mm. themselves in forever. And I've known agents for the 10 years that I've been canvassing both of these cities and they're saying the same thing. It's really hard to keep up with it all. Yeah. So what, what are first home buyers actually buying at the moment in Geelong and Ballarat? What are you seeing them, them buy? And, and we're going to ask you a follow-up question to this afterwards. <laughs> but what yeah, are they actually buying? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about them as separate cities because the products are quite different and the reasons why people are moving to each city are a little bit different. But if we talk about Ballarat to kick things off, and Ballarat's about a, a 70 to 80-minute train trip from the city, depending on which service you get on, and I can jump in the car and jet to Ballarat in about an hour and 15 minutes from Yarraville. So it's definitely... Is that because you speed? No. <laughs> Just checking. Is that normal? 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. If there's no roadworks, and you know, the Western Highway is a bit of a pain in the neck for roadworks at the moment, but that that's also an indication of infrastructure upgrades because people are using the road a lot. Now, people can commute to the city. Um, and live in Ballarat. But ideally, you wouldn't want to do the daily grind. And COVID has changed that. Work from home has meant mm. that lots of people have said, hey, let's do Ballarat because now we're getting away with, you know, having a hybrid arrangement. So Ballarat people are looking generally for houses. Uh, first-time buyers aren't, aren't really looking for units because they can afford a house. That, and it's not too far to get, it's not too hard to get into town if you're in one of the outskirts suburbs no, it's no more than a 12-minute drive into Ballarat CBD from any okay. of the, the multiple. There's more than 20 suburbs in Ballarat. And if you're in the fringe areas and you're getting, you know, a newish property, which is not my my preferred pick, but house and land, you know, there's there's something for everyone. Is that what you're seeing first-time buyers buy? Now, now I'm not saying is that what you're recommending. That's the next question. Yeah. Um, but is that what you're seeing people sort of gravitating towards um, because there's incentives there that are encouraging them to look at new? Yeah, a bit of both. In Ballarat, if you want to be close to town and be able to walk into Sturt Street and walk to the local bars, et cetera, you won't be buying new you'll have to get something established. But if you do want brand new and you're happy to jump in your car and be 10 minutes out of town, then there are quite a few estates that you can choose from. And yes, the incentives are quite compelling for a lot of people who haven't saved a traditional deposit. Mm-hmm. So for those who have saved a traditional deposit, and I know I just said earlier we want this to be evergreen, but what, what's the price difference roughly? It'll give us an idea of the percentage difference. Between old and new? Yeah, or, or closer into town versus further out. Yeah, of course. So if you're buying, let's say, a three-bedroom house um, on a on a normal-sized block, so anything up to six, 700 square metres of land, you'll need about 400000 for an entry-level, non-compromised, established property. Now, it, it might need renovating, particularly if it's in a really amazing spot. But if you're looking at entry level, you really need a minimum of 400000 mm-hmm. Once you're dipping below that, you're going into more compromised locations or, or main roads or things that, that I wouldn't get excited about as a buyer's agent. Mm-hmm. And if you're wanting to be in the really exciting suburbs that half of Melbourne talk about when they're dreaming of Ballarat, they're, they're the suburbs like Ballarat Central and Soldiers Hill and Newington. They're really beautiful suburbs and they've got that lovely inner city sort of feel. It's a provincial city, so we've got some stunning architecture in Ballarat. If mm. you're wanting a house in those suburbs, you'll need a minimum of 550 but you could easily spend up to a million dollars in these suburbs and the locals wouldn't really bat an eyelid, so they are quite tightly held areas. Okay, and are there and there are you said provincial sort of area. So, is there a lot of the the character style um, houses that you see in inner Melbourne? Is that is that what you're Very looking at out there? So. Yeah, if you go to Soldiers Hill, you'll see a little bit of a Fitzroy style architecture, <laughs> beautiful red brick, you know, tuck pointed Hawthorne brick um, terraces lining some of the streets, and then you'll get some really amazing. Um, mansion style properties around the lake the architecture is beautiful and it's it's a, a rich history but mostly victorian era in that area interesting and what are the employment opportunities for first-time buyers so if if for example someone was looking at uh, relocating from melbourne mm. and, and and they're seeing better value for money and better buying opportunities yeah. in ballarat what, what sort of work would they do anyone who's in the the health services or, or education 
industry will do quite well, but we've also got a lot of um, government jobs going in Ballarat and lots okay. have been created. So one of the most significant... Is that a decentralisation of the state government into Ballarat? Okay. Very much so. So I could I'd name a few. We've got um, the ATO, we've got emergency services, triple zero, um, Vic Roads. So there are quite a few opportunities there that are located south of the city in, in an area called Tech Park. And then more recently in Mare Street, so right in the heart of the city, we've got an enormous building called Gov Hub, and they're relocating a lot of people from consumer affairs in the Melbourne office up to Ballarat and incentivising them. So I've assisted some employees um, who have chosen to move to Ballarat um, and, and they work for consumer affairs. How interesting. Okay, Is I remember, there a shortage um, of, sorry, go on. Yeah, I remember a number of years ago, probably about 25, maybe 30 years ago, uh, when Queensland went through a, a similar type of process to try and decentralise a, a lot of their um, government department, Queensland government departments, um, uh, to to hubs like Chermside and so forth, and 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 it and it sort of didn't stick. Uh, a lot of those have gone back into the city. So um, interesting to see, you know, long term if if that continues to be an employment hub for Victorian government. Yeah, we've we've seen it for quite a while. So this is this is just one more layer, and I haven't seen any wobbles in terms of the employment opportunities on offer from a decentralisation point of view. In fact, I've only seen them increase in the last five years. Oh, interesting. So has there been a shortage of property there? If there's a lot of people relocating for for these jobs that are being created, has that led to a shortage, or is it yes. all the new stock sort of being built to accommodate that growth? A little bit of both, and as I'm sure you've you've talked to your viewers before, brand new in an area where there's a lot more brand new coming online, that that can really um, perform slowly in the capital growth stakes, and we're seeing a little bit of that. You, your issue is that you've got a high rate of depreciation for the, the building component, and obviously even if the land is appreciating, it's not keeping up with the rate of depreciation. So that's one threat. But also a lot of people are saying, well, I don't want a cookie cut brand new thing. I'd like to have um, a characterful street and be closer to the main street and the, the heart of Ballarat. So there's not enough established property and there is a pretty steady supply of house and land, that's for sure. And the, the way that the city is expanding is both south and west and a little bit in the north. So there's a lot of land release options to choose from. They do tend to sell pretty quickly, but that that is something that I, I obviously don't choose to buy. But as far as established property goes, there's a stock shortage and locals have sat on their hands through COVID too. They didn't want people through their houses. They didn't want to do anything. So right. the supply and demand imbalance is, is pretty horrible. Okay. We, we do talk a little bit with, with uh, the podcast about rent vesting. So is, is it an option for people to look at Ballarat as a, a rent vesting opportunity? It's an interesting question. Ballarat recently has had increased buyer demand from local first-time buyers. And the reason for that is they're saying to themselves, why would I rent in Ballarat and pay a 4% yield on someone else's asset? Mm-hmm. And then I can just buy my own and pay two and a half percent. So rent vesting isn't <laughs> as viable in Ballarat because it's actually cheaper. The not there. Well, it's cheaper to buy a home and live in it <sighs> than to to um. You you could certainly rent vest if you're a, a city slicker and and you wanted to get a property that was a house on its own full block and you were um, cash strapped a little bit or restricted with your budget. 
because you won't get a $400,000 house in Melbourne, but you can in Ballarat. So I do see some rent festers, but the most recent demand hasn't been investor demand. It's actually been local renters saying, well, mm. if I can save a little bit of a deposit, I can get out of the rental trap. How interesting. It is when, interesting, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. yeah and yeah, that is an important thing about rent vesting. It, it depends where you want to live. And if you want to live in an, an expensive place, then it makes sense. But if you're wanting a, if you are living in a more affordable place, you can, you can see you've just explained perfectly why it doesn't necessarily yeah. make sense. Mm. Yeah. Excellent. Let's talk about Geelong. I love Geelong. I so love it's out the same <laughs> direction, isn't it? Still, it's going, it's going uh, yeah, west yeah. from the CBD. Yes, that's right. So you're, you're rolling around Port Phillip Bay's coast and Geelong is less than an hour from Yarraville. It's about an hour from the city. On a fast train, you'll do it in just under an hour. And there's a few stations. In Ballarat, you've got your two train stations. In Geelong, you come into Corio, North Lane, North Shore, North Geelong, and then uh, Geelong City, South Geelong, and then out to the, the more southern suburbs. So you've, you've got good commuting options. Um, the only catch with Geelong is everyone's pounced onto it. Lots of people can commute and do commute, but your chances of getting a seat on a train is pretty minuscule. Oh, standing on a packed okay. COVID train. It's not fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so for an hour. <laughs> for an hour. They, they need more services and they've put on more services, but I, I don't think that they'll keep up with the demand, particularly when things normalise a little bit out of COVID. Mm. So during COVID, yes, you could get a seat on the train if you wanted to catch the train. but If you were, if you were up for yeah. it. Yeah. So it's an interesting one. A lot of people when they're choosing a property in Geelong now might be inclined, if they're commuters, to think about living south so that they can be first on the train. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. How yeah. interesting is that? So you actually start making, not only are you looking at transport options, but you're actually looking at how far the, down the line you are. Yeah. Where, where can you live where you'd be guaranteed a seat? Because you can, you know, tether and do some work on your laptop. You're sitting on a V-line train. It's a comfy train. It's not like the metro trains. Right. <laughs> and that's a bit of a local <laughs> so, tip, isn't it? Because, yeah. you know, we're not so local from that area. We wouldn't yeah. know, but you do. And, and there, <laughs> there is the value of someone who mm. knows intimately local aspects of, of a different area because I would look at that and say, well, wouldn't it be better to be closer to Britain, mm-hmm. to Melbourne? Yes. You know, as, a, as an outsider, I would be thinking, mm-hmm. oh, the closer I am to Melbourne, the, bit, the better the opportunity. But as you say, I can't get a, I can't get a seat for my bottom. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> I can't be comfortable. Yeah. No, no that's not comfortable at all. There's also water in Geelong, of course, because it's on yes. the bay and yeah. and then a little bit further south you've got beaches and, mm. and so there's other reasons I would imagine or other draw cards there that, say, Ballarat wouldn't have. Yeah. Is, mm. that, is that a big part of it, do you think? Huge part, yeah. Now, the port of Corio, which is, is the bay that Geelong looks onto, has always had that industrial vibe and anyone who knows Geelong, they'll picture their refinery on the car manufacturing as well wasn't it yeah it was Mm. Ford Ford left a few years back yes and Geelong's a really interesting one a lot of people were very very nervous about Geelong when Ford was closing and that's because you know employment was really shattered there for a, a huge sector and Geelong did bounce back, but it had a bit of a, recon- a, a little bit of a, um, a renaissance because it's really evolved from an industrial city to now a pretty trendy extension and an, an option outside of Melbourne. And I, I look at it like you Sydney siders look at Wollongong and Newcastle, yeah. and they've experienced growth for lots of reasons. Um, housing affordability in Sydney is one of them, and we're facing the same sort of 
issue in Melbourne, but Geelong has beautiful beaches. It's changing very quickly. It's got a great waterfront precinct right um, across from the city. We've got a university campus now right on the beach um, and also in Warren Ponds. And again, like Ballarat, Geelong's had a lot of jobs created. So they've been beautifying it. They've been funding it. And there's lots to do. I went to Geelong recently with friends and one of the laneways that was always facing multi-storey car parks and wasn't particularly sexy is now just full of all these bars. And (laughs) it's amazing. It's got a really cool vibe. Love a good foodie laneway. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And (laughs) we know Melbourne's famous for it, so that's just an extension. I think what's interesting too, I talk to people a lot about gentrification and I guess that's what you're talking about. You're talking about moving from that that more working class and the – you know, origins into Mm. more of a uh, sort of a middle-class white-collar type Mm. of um, environment. And, of course, when you've got white-collar workers working in a place and living in a place, then prices start to go up because wages tend to be higher. I mean, it's just the sort of the typical sort of way things go. And the gentrification piece is all around also having some lovely period homes and period buildings, which I know there are down there in Geelong maybe slightly older, they're more Edwardian, aren't they, than Victorian? Would that be right? Uh, um, you've got a few Victorians, but you've also got a lot of Federation and Californian mm. bungalow, and then you've got your mid-century around the, the Barwon River. So Belmont's got some really beautiful mid-century homes as well. Yeah, and so when you've got those period homes that then start to be renovated and then you start to see the bars and the cafes, you know, they're, they're the sorts of hallmarks of, okay, it's not just we're not talking about gentrification here. This is actually happening. Yes. It's happened. And potentially the growth is, you know, that big uptake on growth has already been taken out or, or factored into prices. So I would imagine there's no mm. great, this is not on the horizon. It's now, people are paying for it now. Mm. But how do the prices compare, say, for an equivalent home? If you're going to be walking distance, say, to Geelong's, you know, laneway bars, what's the what's yeah. the difference? The, what's the, equi- the, the pricing differential between that and, say, a Melbourne uh, equivalent? Oh, wow. Half price in Geelong. Definitely half price, maybe even more. So I recently missed out on a property in South Geelong and it was a beautiful period house that had a, um, a rear lane and to a double car garage um, and that sold in the early 900,000s. If I was to get something like that is conveniently located to our city, you'd be looking at at least $2.5 million. I'm thinking something like Fitzroy North or uh, West Garth and Northcote. You'd, you'd be absolutely on the hook for over two and a half to get that product on that land, walking distance to all of those things. Okay, interesting. So there's still a real element of affordability there for Geelong if you're yeah. willing to do the commute or if the, the employment opportunity is right for you. So Yeah, if you're in a role where you've got that flexibility. I've recently yeah. had um, a, you know, a family that could be described professionally as two very successful people in their own right with young children who transitioned here from the inner ring suburbs from a gorgeous house that they'd, that extended. They moved to Newtown in Geelong and bought a period house there. And their drivers were well, multiple drivers, but really good schools. So Geelong is mm. renowned for its great <laughs> private schools. Right. And yeah. they've got their girls into a really great school. Interesting. So, there is a lot of, you know, all regional towns have these sort of uh, development or new subdivisions going on. There's been, I think, state governments around the country have been incentivising regions to, uh, you know, release house and land packages and there's no shortage of them in Geelong and the surrounding areas. What's the story 
you know, where are first home buyers gravitating? Yeah, if a first home buyer is is capped at in in Victoria, if you purchase up to six hundred thousand and you you qualify for the stamp duty concession, you'll pay no stamp duty. So it's free up to six hundred, and then it tapers off between six hundred and seven fifty. So if you're wanting to stick to your six hundred budget, you'll have to get your skates on and get moving because it is going. Um, it is definitely trending upwards. But Grovedale, which again gets you an early seat on the train, um, Grovedale <laughs> is in the south. And it's it's all very 70s, 80s, 90s brick veneer houses. Very, it's a bit Pleasantville, but you've got easy options to get into the city. You've got good buses and you've got major shopping centres as well. So Grovedale is one area where they're heading. If you're looking at gentrifying areas, places to the east like Newcomb, um, they've, they've had their stigma and they're kind of shaking that stigma now, but Newcomb is next to East Geelong. So you're pretty close to the heart of everything. Mm. And if you're okay with a townhouse or a villain, you could pretty much buy into any of the suburbs that are touching Geelong Central postcode 3220. You could you could get a villa unit within your first home buyer spend. If you're willing to press um, the budget a little bit and forget about the stamp duty concession and, and spend circa 800, you could get a character home, a period home. And we, we talk about those artificial um, price barriers that are being created mm-hmm. by some of these incentives and, and discounts and concessions. And, and, and that's a really good point that you make, Kate, because uh, if you can move from a, a, a townhouse, as you said, a townhouse, sub 600, yeah. um, but a house, uh, circa 800, um, you might actually find that the, the upward pressure on prices in that sub 600 range are actually artificially inflated because there's so many people trying to compete in the under 600 price range as opposed to just sometimes we talk about maybe the 650 or the 700 yeah. might be better ba- value or, or buying opportunities. Always a risk with first home buyers. I remember when we first had this ridiculous incentive in Victoria and all of the first home buyers were, were fighting each other to get to the 600 mark. Oh, yes. And I was bidding on a townhouse in Kensington, I remember it, and my buyers were first home buyers and I was really nervous. You know, what if someone else said, don't worry, I've got it all worked out and the opening bid was 600 and they all just disappeared. They were all gone. Oh. Boom, job <laughs> done. Oh, now, dear. I want to ask you, I want to ask you, every city has its uniqueness and, and, and things that as a local you know work and what doesn't work and, you know, we have a list of 36 investment criteria for Brisbane. I'm sure you have a very similar way of looking at things when you look at properties. Yeah. What are some of the mistakes that are specific to, and, and I guess we're going to treat them differently, but what, what are some of the mistakes that you see people make that is very specific to Geelong and Ballarat separately? Picking the cheapest suburb because they read about it on a forum from someone who doesn't live there. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> You've got uh, to, we all love a bit of free advice, but what's oh, that worth? <laughs> the best free advice you can get if that's your strategy is call a local property manager. Because yeah. property managers know the worst areas in both of these cities and the good property managers won't take stock in them. So if you've bought in such a vile area that you can't get a good property manager, you've already bought a dud. That is such gold information. It's so true. I literally was was stalking a Facebook group last night (laughs) and somebody's posted, you know, where should I, where's a good place to buy an investment property? And I've got in the, typically, of course, that... (laughs) 
if anyone you and didn't then all express this, your opinion, did you, Veronica? I know. I, I know. I, know. I bite my I, tongue so hard, I almost bite it off. I try not to take the bait, you guys, because then you get a bunch of people that have already followed bad advice. And oh, yes, yeah, exactly. and they're trying to get everybody to follow yeah. it as well. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, there was all the opinions like, oh, you know, well, rents are up in this area and this and that and blah, blah, blah. And I, and I just went, you know what? Nobody can actually answer that question for you. You need to do your own research. And then it was like, oh, what do you mean? And then so I and gave a bit more information. It was like, so what What do you recommend then? I said, uh, <laughs> you missed the point. I was telling you, I can't tell you that answer any more than anybody Nobody else. Nobody should tell you that. But here's the link to our podcast episode about where to buy. <laughs> 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 and which means I'll probably be um, thrown off that Facebook page <laughs> but out, the, out of the group because it's not our group. But anyway, I try not to plug, but I can't help myself. But, yeah, and, and the, people were giving that type of advice. And it's, it's like the people that say, oh, I buy under median, you know, go and buy under median. It's like, well. <laughs> generally yes. you're buying there's, shit. There's, there's, a, there's a reason that it's under median. It's <laughs> yeah. usually got, as Kate mentioned, you know, one of those massive, massive objections that you can't overcome, whether it's on a train line or floods or, yeah. or main road or, you know, if you can't, if you can't fix it, it's always going to be an issue. That's yeah. one of our home bar academy principles. That is. And that's, that's a great tip though. I love that. Ask the property managers, would they take it on as a management? <laughs> <laughs> That's fabulous. What's another mistake you see? Uh, you know, it doesn't have to be first home buyers because let's face it, all buyers make mistakes. Buyers yes. of all, you know, all uh, you know levels make mis- mistakes. What's something else that's typical? You know, typical to these regions. They're both um, regions that offer auctions, but you'll tend to find, especially in the first home buyer budgets. Their private sales. And these agents have all cottoned on to the crazy conditions. And instead of having back and forth transparent fights or Zoom auctions, they're saying, give us your best and highest. So the one hit wonder. Mm. And that can be really problematic for someone who's lazy and not doing their homework. There's no excuses for not doing homework with the information that we have on hand. You don't have to go and pay for an advocate if you don't want to. You don't need to pay for a valuer. You need to get on the sold tab and have a look at what properties like yours are going (laughs) for. Because if you panic and you get FOMO and you pay way too much for it, you might have a valuation issue. And if you are looking at the agent's quote range or not doing your homework, you'll just keep missing out. And these property Mm. markets at the moment feel like they're moving 1% per week. That's not sustainable, but right now that's the pace of the market. So if you're mucking around and not doing your homework and taking 12 weeks to to get real about what the price actually needs to be for what you want, you're going to be looking at 12% worth of market movement potentially. So now is not the time to be tardy with, with homework. More yeah. even because it's but compounding. But it's so important to do the homework. You know, don't yeah. just get out there and throw a dart and hope that yeah. you, you, you actually land it. It, it yeah. is so vitally important to do the homework. <laughs> and don't just go and get one of those automated valuations no. that you can get from a bank. Or, or on one of the portals that tells you, you know, this is the our guesstimate of what, what it's worth. You know, do your homework, do so your true. homework, do your homework. And we have something to help you there. We actually have a free course on that teaches you how to actually do your homework and price a property. So I have to chuck the plug in because let's face it, it's uh, it's there for you. It's on the website. It is, it's, it's free. free. So it's on homebuyeracademy.com.au forward slash free course. <laughs> but, I love it. It is so important and exactly what you're saying there, Kate, you've, you've got to do your research because I honestly, I, I still can't get over the amount of people that I'll ask, you know, how have you worked out what price you're going to pay for that property? Oh, well, I'm just going to go in with my maximum. But is it worth your maximum? I don't know. I've given up. 
because the market's yeah. so hot. It was like, whoa, that's how you end up it overpaying. It's really disheartening in a market mm. like this for buyers, isn't it? And you've just mm. got to stay tough but realistic. Yeah. You know, uh, we, we, we're working with a buyer at the moment and, and they're just so unrealistic with what they should pay and, and determined to win. Uh-huh. And uh, remember we had a student, Veronica, that, that he was just, he was like fighting a one-man war against the property market and 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 you've got to kind of take that hat off of I have to get this at a great price and if you want to buy a property at the moment and we're in a really strong upwardly driven market with lack of supply and a huge amount of demand, um, you have to be very, very realistic about what you need to pay for a property. And in fact, we are going to do a case study episode with that very buyer, that very student, <laughs> he and his wife, because they did buy. They did and buy. And they actually so bought for them. in the Geelong area. So oh. keep tuned because in coming weeks that case study is coming and we are so proud of them. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's like being, a, you know, like a proud mother looking yeah. at the achievements of you. Your yeah. star students and <laughs> that's it. <laughs> they oh, call dude. themselves property bears. Uh, they said we, you know, the two biggest property bears in Australia have just purchased. So we're yeah. very happy for them. <laughs> we're in a, in a hot market. That was the other thing too. Can't believe it. Two property bears purchased in a hot market, in a but hot market. they did it very, very carefully, and we're so proud. Have you seen anything? I mean, the market is a bit crazy at the moment. Um, but just as a final note, Kate, have you seen anything crazy that you'd love to share with us? I see lots of crazy right now. Um, <laughs> in terms of, of buyers stretching, you know, I was just talking this morning um, on our little podcast about a situation. I had a, an auction here in Melbourne that I was warming up for for this Saturday and I thought it's probably worth a million and fifty, but it might hit 1-1 with the level of interest that we've got. Anyway, I got an a SMS from the agent yesterday saying, acceptable offer let us know by 5 p.m if you're in 1.22 so i mm-hmm. thought mm, he's missing a zero i'll just double check <laughs> no. I said, what's the story and he said first home buyer sick of missing out <gasps> wow so we're talking well 15 percent over at least 10 let's yeah. hope the valuation stacks up absolutely or bank of mum and dad Yes, mm. yes, yes. Mm, that's hard. That's so hard. it is mm. tough out there. There's no doubt really about tough. it. Yeah, mm. I'm not, not enjoying this market at all. Nobody is. It's, it's really difficult to navigate and you put a lot of effort into your due diligence and mm. your prep mm. to get smashed. And what I'm noticing is it's not necessarily other advocates that are, are pipping us. No, yeah. no we've got the same thing. First, first home buyers. So we've seen all of this COVID saving and Bear in mind for anyone tackling Geelong and Ballarat, chances are a fair proportion of them will be coming from Melbourne. Mm. Now, Melburnians were in lockdown for three months. And in that three month period, aside from putting on weight, we saved a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. Mm. And for first home buyers, when you save money, it translates into a larger pool of, of borrowing capacity. capacity. So we're seeing yeah. that unfolding, particularly in Melbourne, because we had forced savings for a longer period. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay. And and I guess that that whole FOMO, that whole fear of missing out, rapidly rising, probably have a go at a couple of auctions, maybe paid for a couple of building and pest inspections, and then just throw their hands in the air and say, whatever it takes. Yep. And that's yeah. not the way to go. But yes, we're seeing a lot of that. Be well, careful, be cautious, be, be uh, realistic. Some really great tips in there, Kate. It's been a great chat. 
Not being <laughs> it has been a great chat. So, I mean, in summary, I mean, we, you know, we wanted to give an overview of what's uh, what options are out there in Geelong and Ballarat, why people might go there and and some of the things to be aware of. And so thank you so much for sharing that with us. We also are very mindful that the temptation is just to get, either throw your hands up and give up or go all in. And one of the reasons, and I'm finding the same thing in, in Sydney and I'm sure you find the same thing in Brisbane, uh, uh, Megan, is that, you know, we aren't necessarily going head to head with buyers agents because buyers agents are smart enough to know that some property is worth pushing yourself for, but not all property. And we don't, if we're going to throw our hands up in the air, it's going to be for something absolute cracker, not for some, not just for anything. And I think that's what we're seeing. And I was discussing with my team today that the stuff that's selling really fast in Sydney, like super fast, is the highly compromised properties that those agents know that somebody with FOMO has made a huge offer and they're not even going to even going to wait to see if they can get more buyers is going to smack it out the door so mm, mm. you know they're hard to sell they're usually hard to sell that's exactly right and they yeah. know that <laughs> yes. anyway thanks for joining us kate oh thanks for having me it's been a pleasure in this episode we've covered a very small part of our 10-step online course for first-time buyers if you would like to learn more about the process and how to buy without making a mistake then head over to our website www.homebuyeracademy.com.au don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss an episode and if you like what you've heard today please give us an itunes review five stars would be wonderful it will help others find us as well Thank you for joining us. We hope you found this really useful. And if you have, please share the love with others who you know are in the same boat. We'll be back next week with some more priceless stuff. 